Children of the world, parents of the world, this is for you. I'm Rowena. And I'm April. We are best friends and moms to five young athletes and sisters to Olympic champions. We have a mission to inspire our kids. And your kids. Through the stories of champions. Who am I? I'm a champion. Who am I? I'm a champion. Who am I? I'm a champion. Welcome back, champions. It's golf this week. We are so excited to bring to you Max Milet. He is a college golfer on a full ride scholarship at Arizona Christian University. He has a rad story. We first heard a little bit of Max's story from his dad, Ed Milet, who is a prolific speaker, writer, entrepreneur, and podcaster. And what Ed shared was one of the most impactful things we've ever heard. And we just knew we had to share Max with you all. So let's get into it. Welcome, Max. Thank you. I'm super excited to be on the show. So tell us, um, actually, we would love to just hear about how you got into golf in the first place. Like how old were you and who inspired you or what was it? Um, Did you ask or did it just kind of fall into place or how did golf come into your life? So it originally came from my dad, Ed. So my, before I played baseball before golf and my dad also played baseball, but he was actually a club champion at our local golf course. So seeing him golf originally got me into it. It was just pretty much casual and just fun. And then there's a specific commercial actually from Nike. So it's Tiger Woods, obviously, because he's like the best golfer. He's juggling a golf club and doing like all these tricks and he hits it out of the air like a baseball bat. And I just thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And I was like, I kind of really want to get more into golf. It kind of started off just basically just me and my dad playing. And like we get my sister Belle into it too, some of my friends. And then at one point we were just like, oh, let's go play in some tournaments. And just some breakthroughs started. And then I'm where I'm at now. I got a college scholarship. I'm going to my junior year of college. And I'm starting to play in some professional events, which is super exciting. And how old were you then? I started when I was 10. I started doing competitively about 11, 12. So were there any um, other sports that you were into before golf came into your life? Yeah, so I actually played baseball before. My dad played college baseball and tried to go professional. So my dad was always like, hey, you got to play baseball too. Like I batted left-handed. I actually threw left-handed for a bit. Found out I was kind of more right-handed, which would have probably helped in baseball in hindsight. But I love baseball. I got a little burnt out from it. And then there was also a period right before I went into golf where I just basically tried every single sport, tried to find what I liked, what I didn't like. And I kept basically going back to baseball and golf. Wow, that's really interesting because, you know, I think especially, I don't know, it could be like all sports now, but it seems like people, especially in golf, are like, you have to do it so young. And, you know, you see these like literally like six-year-olds that can hit it like 150 yards and you're, look at you, you're where you are, not starting really until 10 or 11. Do you think that starting later actually was a benefit to you for being, for finding the success you found? I think from looking at it now, for sure. And when you start in like some junior tournaments, like it's a big struggle because like even when I would do tournaments where my dad would caddy for me, like some US kids events, sometimes he didn't. I'd be going against kids that have been playing since like two. And like I'm 12, they got like almost 10 years of experience on me. So from then it was a really hard point to catch up. But looking back now, I think it ended up did being good for me. I didn't get burnt out from it. I didn't get like mentally fried or anything. 
it just kept going and just started enjoying it because I, I like the competition aspect of it, but I wasn't like super invested into like, I have to be perfect. And my parents weren't forcing me on it either. I actually want to dig right into this now because um, we heard your dad talk about a pivotal day in your life that was, li it's literally changed everything and led you onto the course where you are now. And when April and I heard it, we're like, we got to get Max on our podcast. <laughs> like, we've, our, our listeners have got to hear this because it's literally the essence of what we talk about day in and day out with the the champions that we're digging into their minds. So let's go back. You were saying you just did it for fun, you know, casually, more as a fam, you know, with your dad. What? Let's Let's begin with the story, the day that this all changed. <laughs> Your pivotal, yeah. your pivotal moment. Yeah. yeah, my big moment in golf where he kind of started to take it a little more seriously. So it was a U.S. kids tournament. It was out in Palm Springs, actually where I'm at right now. And it's just some local golf course. There's like 10 kids in the field, but like most of these kids, they have like professional golfers caddying for them. Like one was the grandson of a two-time major champion. Um, it was just me and my dad. Like I said, my dad was a club champion, but like he took some time off of golf from that point on. So he wasn't like heavily invested in the golf, wasn't taking it too seriously or anything. And one day we're just out and he was always just told me, he was like, you know, if you win or lose, I still love you the same. Just like go out there and have fun. And one of the kids' dads said something to me. I don't, I didn't remember at the time exactly what it was, but it was, hey, basically go grab like this kid's lunch. Like you're not doing anything in the tournament. And my dad got really frustrated. And this off. was like mid-tournament. One of the kids' dads was like, hey, go get our lunch, Max. Yeah. So this was like, it was like a U.S. kids event. You pay like 80 bucks to go and you get like a sandwich during it. And like the dad just said, hey, go grab the kids' lunch. You're not doing anything. And my dad got super frustrated because he's also incredibly competitive. And I know it was painting him seeing me like be 12 shots behind going into the back nine. And my dad just got so pissed. And then he was just like, gets down like eye level with me, like grabs me by my shoulders. He's like, we're going to effing win this tournament. We're going to kill it. You're going to come back and beat all these kids. And I'm just like, okay, like, I'm just here to have fun though. And he's like, no, winning's fun. <laughs> and basically he's like, here's what's going to happen. He's like, I'm going to tell you everything to do. You don't worry about anything. Let me do all the worrying about the rest of the stuff. You just go and hit the shot. And I was just like, okay, that's fine. And he's like, hit a driver here. Like on the 10th hole, I remember. Like a downhill par four. He's like, hit it here, put it down the middle. And I was like, oh, that was my best shot of the tournament. Like that felt really good. The next shot, I hit it to like 20 feet, like an iron shot over water. And then we go and read the putt. He's like, take it seriously like the rest of the kids. Like go line the ball up. I used to never do that. Like you'll see a lot of these kids, they'll go around the hole to read it where I would just walk up and hit it. And I know walking around, he didn't really know what he was doing. I didn't really know what I was doing. And I made the putt too. And we got really excited, got two <laughs> shots on them. And you were 12 at making, this point? Were you 12? I was 11. 11. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I was 11 at this point. So this was probably like my fifth tournament ever. And I keep make, making ground. I was like 10, 12 shots back going into the back nine. And then the last hole, I'm tied. And I've never been in this situation before in my entire life. So I'm super nervous. It's Palm Springs. It's 
in the summer, it's a hundred degrees outside. Everyone's like dying. We're walking. And one of the kids grabbed me like a water because they had like a cooler there because it was so hot. So like I grab the water, drink it, and I have a golf glove on. And if you golfers know, if you get a bunch of water on your glove, it doesn't feel right. And you kind of lose a little bit of like traction almost. And I took a practice swing to hit my ball, like this big tee shot. And my driver flies out of my hand straight into the water, probably goes about 80 or 90 yards. Like this thing went probably farther than I thought the actual drive was going to go. And I was like in dead shock. I was so nervous. And then luckily my dad was there and he was basically just like laughing it off with me. He was like, relax. Like it wasn't your fault. He gives me like my hybrid. And then he was like, just go hit the shot. Remember, have fun. Like this is the last hole. And then I ended up winning on the last hole. And I think pretty much of the speech, maybe you'll be able to pull the picture up. There's like this picture of me when I'm like 10 or 11. I have the metal like way too close to my face. I have like the biggest grin on my face imaginable. Like it was the first time I've ever won a tournament. And it was like, that felt good, didn't it? And I was like, that was like the best thing ever. And he's like, okay, we'll do the same thing next week. Winning's more fun than fun is fun, yeah. your dad says. Yep. <laughs> that's that's what it is, yeah. <laughs> And what he didn't go too much into that speech, what happens, I won like eight of 10 events after that and ended up winning the tour championship also on the last hole. So for that whole season, there's probably like that last event, there's probably like 150 kids in it and I ended up winning. There are so many takeaways from this story. And I just, I wanted to kind of, um, kind of rewind for all of you guys that don't know, but Ed Milet is Max's dad and he has um, his own podcast and he's also been on multiple podcasts and he's actually told this story and, you know, from his side of it and his aspect. And I would love for you guys to actually go listen because he just um, interviewed Max on his podcast and told the story. So it's a really great thing to kind of go back and listen to because you can kind of hear his perspective of the story too. But there's so many amazing takeaways from this story, um, not just that you won that specific event, and but more that it, how much it taught you and to see how like malleable kids' minds are. And this is actually a little bit more of a a parenting tip than a, I know this podcast is for you, for you champions that are up and coming, but I know that a lot of parents are listening too. And I want you guys to just hear how malleable kids' minds and brains are and how important it is for what you tell them because they believe you and you have to be the visionary and you have to be the, the one that believes in them, even if you have doubts yourself, you know, because I'm sure your dad was like, I'm just going to tell him like, we're going to do this, but, and I'm sure that he was pouring his belief into you, but I'm sure there was part of him that was like, are we actually going to win this? I don't know, you know, but, oh, but yeah. you believed that he believed you would win. And therefore you, that gave you so much belief in yourself, which is why you were able to do what you did. And that's why it's just so important what we tell our kids. And it goes b both ways, right? Like you, it goes both ways to like, if he would have told you like, oh, yeah, go get the sandwich, go get the sandwiches for this kid. We'll just, we'll support him because he's doing so well, but there's no way we got a chance. You know, you probably wouldn't have done nearly as well, but he told you you could win. And you were like, hey, I can win. My dad believes I can win. I can win. And it just is so important. And I just absolutely love that you took all the lessons that he taught in that one session to carry on into the season actually into your career in golf and um 
it's just amazing. And you know what Rowie said? I love that your dad says that all the time. He says, winning is more fun than fun is fun. But you know what? I would actually love to talk a little bit more about this. And I don't know if you have um, kind of your sense of this, but I think what we struggle with as parents and sometimes even as kids is that is that we do want to we want our kids just to love what they do and have fun. But there also is this like competitive side and we want to harness that competitiveness, but we want to make sure our kids know that we love them regardless. But we also want to foster that, you know, that competitive side. Do you feel like as, um, cause I don't feel like your parents really put too much pressure on you, but they also really encouraged your competitiveness. And I think that really helped you. That's a balance, right? Did you ever feel pressure from your parents or about, about doing well, or kind of talk to us about, um, about that, about like your parents encouraging you to, to do the sport, but loving you anyway, but also encouraging you to be competitive, right? Because I know your dad talks about that, like not wanting to, not he, he he says that he realized in that moment that he wasn't really showing like, oh, wait, it's OK to be competitive. So maybe talk to us about that. Yeah. So actually, I mentioned this originally like when we were talking. I, I was actually a baseball player before I golfed. And my dad played professional baseball for a little bit in the minor leagues. And then he played in college as well. And I don't know if this is a normal thing for a ton of parents, but you kind of just see a miniature version of yourself as a kid. So you really want to like push them on and be like, come on, you can do this. You can hit that home run. You can go pro. You can like win a world series. You can be like the greatest. And if you force it too much on a kid, they can just get mentally burnt out. And that's one thing my dad did realize what happened with me in baseball. I remember we would go out to like a hitting cage or a random field. We'd be there for like six hours a day. And I'm like eight years old and he wanted me to be so good, so bad. And I did get really good, but it's just mentally, I just was never there. The physical aspects started to go, but just mentally, I just could not enjoy the game at all. And I ended up quitting that. My dad realized that and completely changed his parenting shift in like a full 180, where golf, he's just like, okay, let's just go have more fun. Throw some competition in there, but don't go like all the way in. Like you have to be great at it. You don't have to win the masters every single time. You can just go have fun. Just get thrown into the environment and learn how to adjust through that. So like getting thrown into these tournaments for me, every tournament ended up being a building block to kind of where I am now. And even like other tournaments I play now, I keep trying to build up higher and higher to become the best player I can. But I always can look back on those memories or me and my dad just go golf. It's just me and him. We're just going out to have fun. We'll do a little competition here and there. Like maybe we do like a little bet or something or like a match but for the most part, we keep it pretty light. And then he's like, throw yourself into the fire, like go be in competition, but you don't have to, he didn't force himself upon me with golf saying like, I had to win that one big turnaround that we just talked about. He realized at that moment, he was kind of being a little bit too loose with it. Like he was just a dad that just went out there. He was like, Oh, have fun, enjoy it. But I kept finishing last in every tournament. So it was like, okay, there needs to be a median at some point. And it also depends on your kid as well. Like for me, I was at that point more like, oh, I just want to have fun. And he took it a little bit too far to the extreme and then kind of brought it back towards that median. But I even know kids in golf. This is the best example is there's a lot of division one kids even right now and kids that will be better and that could go professional and they'll get burnt out. They'll be so forced. They feel like they have to do so good. And this happens with a ton of junior golfers as well. that They just end up not enjoying. Yeah, this is really this is a good thing to talk about because I think like 
no one human is the same. You know, we, we have these podcasts, we listen to all these stories and you can take bits from here and there, but when it comes down to, is it just, I do think it just has to be fluid and changing and watching, like just, uh, you know, we've heard a lot through the champion stories of when they started hating it. Cause everyone does at some point, <laughs> even if yeah, that's their passion does at some point, right. Yeah. Um, just to come back to like, what do I love? Like what, um, you know, to just like put it all behind and just like focus on the core again. Have you got to that point in golf yet? I know you're still young and just beginning really. (laughs) Yeah. I have gotten to a point at, this was a while ago where I started not to enjoy golf as much. I started to get into a lot of competitions. I was playing every single weekend for probably like a year or two straight in California and I was just like, I just need a little bit of a break. Like, I just keep playing. I was consistently doing the same. I didn't see any growth just because I was throwing myself too much into the fire. Whereas, like, I kind of have to pull myself back, reflect on those past tournaments, maybe take just, like, a couple weeks off, like, still do, like, a little bit of practicing, and then go back into competition. But so I love that. Point- I love that you listened to yourself, that you knew that, because I think some, and we've heard that actually on, um, from some of the other people that we've interviewed that, you know, you, you have to, you might look at it and it's like, okay, well, I should be doing X, Y, and Z, but you have to take the step back and also know that you're not always going to love it. And we've also heard that. I, we definitely heard that from Tora, actually, Rowie's sister, um, who's a gold medalist, Olympic gold medalist. And she said she's, she has not in her whole career loved every day. And I think that's really important for all these up and coming people to know is that there's going to be days that you don't like it and that's okay. That doesn't mean that you, it's time to stop or quit. It's just that you need to listen to your body, take some time off or whatever, you know? Yeah. I think you have to stay very disciplined to it as well. Like you don't want to take too much time off. Like I've seen people do that as well. Like they'll go take a month or two off and then they come back and they think everything's going to be fine and it doesn't. They get frustrated. They take more time off and it just dominoes and stopping. But it's really good for to stay in it and winning is fun. Like everyone likes to win. Like I love golf a lot too, like going out with my dad, my friends, but I also love competition. And I think that's what a lot of kids need to learn. And like they are learning it, like through sports, just like throw everything at them, just let them have fun. But also if they get thrown into good situations, they'll start to learn that they like competition as well. Do you remember the feeling like you said the first five tournaments you Came, did you say you came last in everyone? Yeah, I was literally last place. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, but like, whatever. You're happy, kid. You're only 11. Your dad loves you. Your family's amazing. You know, you you probably feel still good about yourself. But do you remember the feeling within you? Like, if you can go back to 11 year old Max, of like, you know, the day before or the weekend before you were last, no one paid attention to you. Probably no one t- was talking about Max, and then. Yeah. The next week, you're literally like the underdog. Yeah, I was basically like the underdog and just kind of came out of left field and won the tournament. Yeah. And so, like, do you remember the talk us about how does that feel inside, like as a person? Oh, it honestly felt really good. So, like, don't want to go a little too off topic with it, but my my dad's book, The Power of One More, which he just had, there's a chapter in it where it's kind of called Escaping the Matrix. So, in that, I was when I was 11 and like finishing the last one of those tournaments. I was still having fun. I was like enjoying it, but I wasn't going anywhere with it. I was in the mindset where like, oh, if I just have fun, then I won. And for a lot of people watching, like having fun is just a lot. Like it's amazing. Like it's enjoyable. You can keep doing it. But if you want to get competitive with it, there's an extra level that I feel like you have to go to. 
and winning that tournament with my dad, like getting eye level and saying, we're going to win this thing, have him take it through with everything. That kind of helped me escape that matrix into realizing there's a whole other experience with winning. It's a whole other feeling. You get into the competitiveness and it translates everywhere in your life, not even in just sports. So I feel like if you can escape that, that's like the big key for kids. And it's just one specific moment. It doesn't have to be like a bunch of tiny moments. It's just they'll have one breakthrough in competition where like they hit a home run or like, like what happened to me, win a tournament, like just hit a shot in basketball. Something will click with them and then they'll enjoy the competitiveness way more. I feel like I, I kind of think about that as being in the flow state, like, yeah. And getting in there and then staying in there. <laughs> That's what you always want to do, like stay in there. But then knowing that there's going to be times when you come out, but you will go be able to go back in. So it's just like getting through those moments that when you're not in it, that and trying to get back in it. And that's, that is really the core of, you know, that is the hardest point. And so if you can stay disciplined and stay in it, and just like your dad says, don't quit, do it for one more day or try one more time and then it will click. And that's, I think those moments in between that, that that's the moment, those are the moments where it takes people to, you know, the next level or the people that quit because it's those point, those times are hard. So have you tell us about, so we've talked a lot about your success. Talk to us about when you've been not in that, in that flow state or in that, you know, where you've had harder times, like how, what do you do? Do you have things that you do to like, keep your mind in it, keep yourself in it? Yeah. So I've had a couple of different times where this happened. We talked a little bit off of camera as well. Like I did get burnt out at some point, taking some time off and just, I would even go on YouTube and just like watch my favorite athlete, just go play. Like my favorite athlete growing up was Tom Brady. I love Tiger Woods as well. I would just go watch highlights of them and just be like, Oh, like, that's so cool. Like they're out competing and everything. I kind of want to go back and do that. So when I would get burnt out, kind of watching the people I look up to in their element, got me motivated to go back out. And I've even had injuries too that prevented me. I had one very recently as well. And with that, it's just kind of get back, reset. I would make specific things I want to do knowing when I'll get back to it. And I'll go out and execute those things the best I can. With um, the, you were talking about uh, another pivotal point off camera when you were in high school and you were injured. Let's, let's go back to that because I'd love to dig into like the actual things you did to I mean, really get to where you are now, a college golf player. So you were injured. What kind of injury did you have? So I had a torn ligament. I'll take this off really quick. But I had a torn ligament in my left arm, and I had a thing known as intersection syndrome. So I had surgery right here on my wrist. So I was out for a pretty long time. And then also with my competitive nature, which was a pretty fall, is I kept going back too early. I kept wanting to do too much too early, and I kept re-aggravating You guys hear that? Listen to your doctor. Listen so to your doctor. <laughs> April's a doctor. That is very important. Yeah, no, that's a, that's definitely a good call. If they tell you to rest six to eight weeks, you rest the whole six to eight weeks. Yes. Like, I've learned this the hard way. Just trust them. I'm still learning it. I had another injury and I went back too early and I tore my meniscus again competing with my team. So, <laughs> yeah, you listen to the doctors. But going back to what we were talking about is I had that injury in high school. This was basically for the most part of my junior year, it even started sophomore year, but it really took off in my junior year, the injury. And I couldn't golf as much as I wanted to. I'd still do good enough in competitions where like I get by myself being content, but I wasn't being recruited because of my injury. 
coaches weren't interested because I also couldn't put up as many tournament scores during that year. And I'm going into my senior year of high school. So most division one schools have already recruited everybody for the next two years. Like the high end D1s, they've already recruited kids going two, three, even four years in advance, depending on how skilled they are. And what happened with me was a pivotal point is I played in the Washington State Amateur. And even qualifying there was pretty hard for me because during my injury, that was one of my specific goals. I would have a big whiteboard in my room and I would write down everything I wanted to do. And one of those things was get a division one offer. And how I was going to do it is I went into so much detail. One of those was playing in the state amateur. Qualifying for it was just as hard as making the cut in it. Actually, on the last hole of qualifying, I was with a University of Idaho player. So I'm 16, 17 years old, and I'm going against a Division One player. And I know where I'm at in the tournament, and I birdied the last hole to make it on like the number to go play in the state amateur in front of a division one player. So that gave me a lot of confidence as well. I had two D one coaches actually follow me in that tournament because I kept reaching out to them, which I also think is really important for kids. And then during the state amateur, I had multiple D one schools. Like it was at Washington state university's home course in Pullman. It's called Palouse Ridge. And the first hole, I actually made a quadruple bogey. And I remember the Washington state coach leaving that first day he left after that first hole because I hit the first tee, I had two tee shots out of bounds to start the tournament. And it's a three day tournament. After the second day, there's a cut. I kept rallying myself back. And then on the back nine, I noticed other coaches started to come back on my second day. So I saw the Gonzaga coach. I saw the Washington state coach. I saw the university of Idaho, a bunch of guys that started to see me again. Cause I was playing really good after you took out the first hole. And on the last hole, I needed to make birdie to make the cut. And I remember sitting on that tee box and all I was thinking about was all the work that I put in from rehab, from writing my goals down, just from practicing so much. That's what most of my injuries actually were, was from over-practicing. Like I would practice so much that I would get hurt. So I actually would think of all the good work that I would put in. And on that last hole, I was like, I've kind of earned to make the cut here. So let's just go out and do what we love to do, which was compete. So that was more of my fun aspect was like, I love the feeling of being under pressure. I love having to kind of overcome that. And I ended up making an eight foot putt in the last hole for birdie to make the cut. And I remember seeing all the coaches clapping at me. I was super excited and I played pretty solid the final day too. And because of that tournament, I was able to get multiple division one offers. I actually, I didn't have taken because it didn't fall out as well as I wanted to. But without that tournament, that was one of the main building blocks where I wouldn't be playing in college. Right now. Wow, this is amazing. I've got my hair on my arms are standing up. I love <laughs> the stories. You're such a good storyteller. I actually, there's two things in there that I want to dive into. Um, one, if you can talk more specifically about what you do when you write your daily goals down, because this, you guys, is so important. So, you know, like kind of specifically what you do for your daily goals and writing them. And then number two, can you kind of expand on what you did, what you said was important for the kids to do is reach out to the coaches? Is that? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge thing to do as well. So I'll first do the goal part. And what I would do is when I was kind of recovering from my surgery, my dad would give me a bunch of books to read and my uncle would as well. So I read a bunch of these books and all, all of them would talk about writing goals down. And I also saw one of my favorite YouTubers who was golf. His name was Peter Finch Golf. He had this specific thing where he would try to qualify for the British Open and he would write on a giant whiteboard everything he was going to do from practice to main goals, to small goals, 
just everything he was going to do. And he put a timestamp on it as well. Because I only had basically that summer to get recruited. That was my only chance of really being able to get some legitimate offers. So every morning you're writing your goals on your whiteboard or you write them down and you look at them every day? Uh, both actually. So what I would do is the left half would be, what am I going to do basically like this week? So I'd change it every couple of days. Like, how am I going to practice specifically what drills I'm going to do? When am I meeting with a coach? Like my coach would be my dad for the most part for mental advice, but I would just keep talking to people. And on the right side of it would be kind of what my vision is, like what I want to do and by what time. So I'd be like, win a tournament, qualify for the state amateur, get make the cut in the state amateur, place this in a certain big event, talk to these coaches, and then get an offer was the main goal. And I was lucky enough where I played good enough and I got those offers. Well maybe it wasn't luck. Maybe it wasn't luck. Well, it looks like you planned for <laughs> you. But yeah, I did yeah. I did plan a lot of it out, but I thank God for a lot of it as well. But the second part of the question was reaching out of coaches. And I think this is a very important thing for kids once you're in high school. I probably emailed every single Division One, Division Two school, like possible for recruiting. I sat down with my dad and my, actually an, an English teacher as well. I'd be like, can you read this? Make sure this sounds good. And I would have this basic recruiting letter saying like, hi, I'm Max Milet. Here's my golf resume. I would love to join your school. I'm very hardworking, Christian. What Like just as many things you can write down that were positive about yourself in a good way. I would mass send the email to tons of coaches I would actually, when I was injured, as I would sit down on my computer, just Google the school's roster, head coach's email, insert their name, paste the email, send it to them. And I would send it to probably like 100 schools, 150 schools just across the country. And if you email enough schools, someone's going to notice. Like you'll get a couple of replies back, like, oh, we're interested. Like maybe we could go see you at this tournament. Oh, like you need to play in a little bit more tournaments. You'll know what you need to do as well. Mm -hmm. and I was lucky enough where I figured that out yeah did this idea to email the coaches was it did it come from you or did someone tell you did your dad tell you this would be a good idea to do and just reach out to everyone like so I actually started emailing a couple coaches and it was originally my idea like I was just gonna email like 10 schools that I really liked and my dad was like let's be honest like you're injured right now you don't know if you're going to be able to get to all these schools he was like go look up every division one school on all the recruiting apps. And he's like, just email every single one. And that's exactly what I did is right. It was right in my junior year. I just pulled up. I can't even name all the schools, but I literally just found every single one and just emailed every single coach and their assistant coach as well. You guys, that is taking a hold of your future. That is controlling, trying to control as much of the uncontrollables that you can. Like that is amazing. I love that tip because I feel like those small things sometimes, not that it was small, but sometimes those things people forget to like tell others. And then they're like, oh yeah, I actually did email all these coaches. And then it gives these, you know, these up and coming champions ideas. I mean, this is the same thing as sponsors um, that we talk about. So Rowie went to the Olympics. Um, she was a ski racer and she went to the Olympics for ski racing. And she, how many people did you email to for sponsorship when you were, and how old were you? I mean, way back, I think I would have been like 12 when I started, but, and way back then there was an email. So I was writing letters, but yeah, I wrote hundreds of letters as well. And I remember, yeah, telling April this story, like I got big companies answering like 
you know that company 3M that makes duct tape and they make the insulation to like ski gear, 3M insulate. Like I wrote to them for some reason because I saw a billboard on the highway and they freaking answered me and gave me money. (laughs) You know, and, and a lot of other. So when I heard you talk about you wrote to hundreds of schools, I was like, that's it. You just like you don't give up and you you write to as many as you need to until, you know, and it's the power of numbers, right? Eventually. <laughs> yeah, it's like expanding what? your network. Like if you're there's schools in Boston, like they don't know about the California kid. Like some random California kid has played in a hundred tournaments and has won a couple of them. But you have to put yourself out there to even have the chance. And I'm so glad you mentioned this story because I have kids who, you know, they're saying, Oh, I want to be on the Red Bull team. You know, they think about sponsorships in the big picture. And I, I tell them this, I'm like, this is what I did. This is what you need to do. And they don't, they still don't trust me. So they are going to listen to your podcast and they're going to be like, (laughs) okay, Max did it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if I could do it, I think anybody could do it. Uh, Like you just got to put yourself out there and a couple of people will bite back. I've had that happen to me as well. You meet a bunch of people for potential sponsors and get discounts. People will send you stuff. But, but it's like, like boring. It's boring work, right? Doing that. That must have oh, been tedious. Yeah, no, I, no, very. Yeah. And like, most people Googling wouldn't do it. Colleges. Yeah. No, most people wouldn't. But like, <laughs> yeah. as long as you, I feel like it's something that's very easy to do. If you just put a couple hours into it, like it's not going to take like a, like two weeks to do it. It's like, you can knock it all out in one day. If you do good enough. It's always those things though, right? They think they feel so big and then they're actually not. And when you actually do them, it's like amazing. <laughs> And they have so much power and so much potential. Um, Okay. Tell us what you would tell your 10 year old self. Oh, what I would tell my 10 year old self. Yeah. Oh, I'll I'll definitely say something my 10 year old self would hate was listen to my dad. I would always talk back to my dad as much as I could, like whether it was in golf, baseball, just anything. Like, just go listen to your dad. He knows what he's talking about. That would be the first thing I would tell myself. 100%. That is the best advice I've ever heard anybody (laughs) say that they would tell their 10 year old self. I think all (laughs) us parents out there are like, listen to Max. (laughs) I don't know if my 10 year old self would listen to me, but that's what I would say. Clip right here. (laughs) (laughs) But I actually want to talk about your dad a little bit because I know I've like, he is an incredible father and we have a lot of young ones listening from all walks of life. And maybe you'll hear some of the things that Max says and you'll be like, oh, my dad's not like that. Or my mom's not like that. Or maybe your dad's not even in your life. And so when you hear these things, I don't want you to get in the mindset of like, well, I don't have that. So I can't, because even if you don't have, you know, a leader in your life telling you these positive things that we're probably going to hear, you can say it to yourself. Like you can shake yourself with your own voice and say, we can do this. I can do this. I can win. I can do anything, you know, whatever it is that you want. But let's go back. I I feel like in the podcast with you and Bella and your dad, you talked a little bit about the kinds of things you would hear from your dad in the morning sometimes, like the kind of words he would say to you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us more, like just walk us through like a night. Yeah. What does he say to you? What did he say? So basically when I was growing up with me and my sister, Bella, he would almost just say these same things when we would leave the house and then when we would come back and go to bed. And my dad would, Bella goes into this in the podcast, actually, he'd be either incredibly energetic or he'd just be like, ah, like whatever, just go do it. 
like to be like, you're a leader, like go have fun. But he would always say the same things and it kind of instilled a thing. One of the things he would he always say was like a bit of a joke, but he really meant it. Obviously he was like, oh, hugs, not drugs, like kind of going off to school. And then whenever I would go to bed, like I'd pass out, like say goodnight, whatever. Right? He would just walk in and be like, hey, you're a leader, you're the champion and you're the greatest of all time. And he said that every single night to me growing up until I was probably like 13, like every single night. And even like when I was in college, he'll still text me that too. And it just subconsciously just put a bit of a mindset where it's like, oh, I can go do a bunch of things. And that also doesn't have to be like a parent. I was lucky enough for my dad to be able to do that. But like I've heard from other people, I've gotten thousands of messages on Instagram, just as my dad as an example, like he's motivated me to do so many things. He's influenced me so much. So it doesn't even have to be a family member. It could be someone on social media as well. It could be an athlete. It could be like even a sibling. It could be anything. You could literally take this clip of what Max just said that his dad says says used to say to him and replay that over and over. You know, it could be you could, do that. you could you could yeah, you can you just there's so much out there that you can find and you can just, you know, Max is saying it to you, you know, Ed is saying it to you because th- that's the thing is that we all need somebody like that and just like Roy said if you don't have that that doesn't mean that you can't have that. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. And we actually have an episode out, which I'll link it in the notes, which is an episode just about affirmations. You can say to yourself, it's really short. You can listen to it, play it to you before you sleep. Um, But yeah, this, this little chat we're having about your dad and what he said to you, it brings to mind um, the movie King Richard. Have you watched that with uh, it's the documentary of Serena and Venus Williams life. I have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. And do you remember like, I think my biggest takeaway from that was literally what the dad said to his kids over and over and over again. The same as your dad. You're the greatest. You're a champion. You're the greatest of all time. I mean, it might seem cheesy to some people, but. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it definitely was cheesy, but I do think it has worked. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, it definitely is worse. Yeah. And even like back into my childhood, you know, I was an Olympian and my sister's Olympic champion. And, you know, there were a lot of things that we missed out on from my dad because he was just working all the time. But one thing he did say to us is, you're the champion of the world. He used to just repeat that. And it used to like annoy me as a kid because I'm just like, whatever, I'm not. Like, why would you say that? I literally came 15th. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I felt the same way. Yeah, but he would just say that. And as I've grown in parenting, I'm like, dude, that was like genius. And that I was a very smart move. I like both parents. Yeah. And I even remember for like the parents watching, like my dad traveled a ton when I was a kid. So he wasn't always around at home. I was lucky where I had such a great mom as well. And my dad was able to create opportunities for that. But even when he'd be out of town, he'd still text me at night. So even when he couldn't do it, he always still like, even just takes a couple seconds, just text your kids and it makes a really big impact. That means we have to give them phones though. <laughs> <laughs> At the right age. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Well, kids are going to want the phones. I know. I know. It's inevitable. Um, yeah. I would love to hear from you what a champion, me- what does being a champion mean to you? For me, being a champion means that you've put in all the work and that you've earned your way to work. So that's one thing I think my dad can still with me too, because I've been able to even see at home him working so much now with social media and even beforehand writing speeches, the podcast, everything. Like 
he works around the clock. He's probably the most hardworking person I know. I always say he works harder than the president. Like no matter who it is, like he's just always 24 seven working. And like, I feel like for him, just using him as an example, he's earned a lot of the things that he's been blessed with. And I feel like if you keep working as hard as you can, thing, good things will happen to you. Like, for example, like with me and golf is I would go to the range. My dad would drop me off at 6 a.m. Or my mom would, I would even Uber half the time when I was in high school because I didn't have a car. And my dad would be out of town. My mom's still asleep. I would go Uber at 5 a.m. I go hit balls, go to school, go back, hit more golf balls. It's dark out, go do homework, go to bed, and do the same thing over and over again. So even for me in tournaments, I was like, I'm working 8, 10, 12 hours a day which is a lot. I'm not always enjoying it, but for the most part I am. But when I get to a tournament, I'm like, I put in so much work, I should win. And to me, that's what being a champion is. It's like believing that you should win and that you've earned it. Wow. I absolutely love what you just said. That was, (laughs) that's so important. The hard work, because a lot of times we watch all these people and their success. And we don't even realize, I mean, we could even look at your dad, same thing and, and look at like his success and not realize his hard work. It's just, there's always so much hard work behind the scenes. And I think that for some reason, I don't know if it's this day and age, I don't know if it's social media, but a lot of people think that it should just come easy or that they don't have to put in the work or whatever. But I think it's because we don't, we don't show the 5am wake up call of Ubering to play. I mean, that's amazing. And, um, and just to hear that, because it's just, I don't know if it's the 10,000 hour rule or whatever, that's part of it, but (laughs) it's, it's the hard work, right? That's, that really is the key to so much. I love it. And I love, um, I feel like throughout this interview, we've heard a lot of things that you say to yourself that you actually believe, you know, and whether yeah, it oh, has, I have instilled pretty good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And whether that's just growing, you know, I'm sure it's just growing the belief, but I, so I've worked hard. I deserve this. And then something else you said earlier that I actually think was really powerful is you, and maybe I say it wrong. You can correct me, but you said something about like, I, love competition I thrive under pressure and I think that is something whether you know for our listeners whether you believe that or not about yourself at this time like say it to yourself over and over again because Mm -hmm. I think that is like such a key in life you can do all this hard work you can but if you put so much pressure on yourself and you just kind of when it counts, don't come through. Like you seem to come through when it counts, Max, from the stories we're hearing, you know? And I think when I heard you say, I thrive under pressure, I'm like, oh yeah, of course he pulls through with the birdie on the last shot because that's what he believes about himself. And it is true. What you believe is true. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's powerful. Yeah, it's very true. Another thing which I've been now able to do, and I even talked about with my dad and he was like, I might have to actually steal it off of you. So I kind of credit for this one thing is my first pro event that I played in, I ended up playing very well in it. I shot a couple in par in it. I was very happy. But he goes like, were you nervous on the first tee? And I was like, well, walking up to the tee, I was nervous. But when I'm over the shot, I'm like, I can't be nervous. I have to hit a good one. So like I made it for myself where like, yeah, there's nerves there. Like you're going to get butterflies the first couple times. But once you've done it enough, you're just like I'm not letting myself be nervous because I can't. Like I have to, like I'm telling myself like I need to play good. Like I want I can't be nervous. Well, it also, it it sounds like you actually take that nervousness and use it as a benefit. 
is what it sounds like. Yeah, like you, exactly. you use that as like something to help you instead of making the nerves being like, oh, I don't know, this is not this is making it worse. I'm too nervous. It's like, no, I'm nervous. And it's a good thing because I thrive under pressure and I always do well when I'm nervous or, you know, whatever. So what I think it does too, for me was like, even taking, like, I can remember the first tee shot in this pro event. I had like a three wood off the tee golfers. know you don't always usually hit three wood off the tee. It's like, if you're trying to lay a little bit back and I was like, most people would be like, Oh, don't top it. There's out of bounds left. You can miss a little bit, right. Maybe slice it a little bit. Don't chunk it. Like all these negative thoughts go in your head. And when I tell myself, like, you can't be nervous, don't be nervous, I just hone in and I focus really well. So for me, I'm like, I'm only focused on, like, the thing in front of me. What I think is good for people under pressure, too, is, like, you just focus on one thing. Like, and for me, that's usually just my emotions. So I'll just, like, stay as calm, cool, collective. Like, your heart rate will go up and, like, everything. Like, not everyone's, like, stone cold all the time, like everyone's internally nervous but it's just if you control your inner environment it helps a lot with your outer environment as well wow you are so amazing you're so easy and fun to talk to you have so many amazing things that i feel like we could talk for hours you are just such a (laughs) gift i have this vision april we're gonna make a little tiktok of all all max's sayings you know the the gold nuggets that we've got from this and then like I'm looking at you now and listening to you and I really believe you are going to be one of the greatest of all times. And like Thank you're beginning, you. you're just beginning. We're going to have you back. And, <laughs> and you know, in the future when kids are no, when everyone in the world knows your name and they're looking up to you, it's not going to be like this surprise of how you got there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Thank you. seriously, we're so grateful for your time and um, what a gift to the world, really your, your whole family. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm very blessed with my family. Thank you. And if you guys, I will have to put a little plug in there. If you guys have not read his dad's book, The Power of One More, it is absolutely (laughs) amazing. It's a good book. It's literally one of my favorites. We just did it for book club and we just, I'll be reading it over and over again. It's really good. And actually, before we leave, Max, I'd love to talk about that because, um, yeah, this this book is one of the most powerful books I've ever read. Yeah. but, and it's just the way that your dad story tells and just the way he makes it just like doable for anyone to use the same principles that he has used, you know, but you said that your dad told you, you know, books to read when you were injured and maybe you're a little older, but like, I definitely know the power of books. And so I try to feed them to my kids. They're at that an age, like where they don't really love it, but I just kind of make them or pay them or I'm like you don't have to clean the toilet <laughs> yeah I give them like five ten bucks yeah, yeah like if you know you don't you get out of toilet duty or whatever it is but you know do you enjoy I guess was there an age that you got to where you enjoyed reading these books your dad would feed you I would probably say kind of right when I got injured it's like about 15 16 years old that's when I really started to enjoy it I would read it because like I kind of knew it was good for me but I didn't really like actually enjoy it but there's just a lot of books I was able to get. And honestly, I credit a lot of that to my dad starting the podcast as well. Having like specific authors, like my dad actually had a book before this called Max Out Your Life. Like I've, I, I've read that a thousand times, like even before it came out. Um, one of my favorite books, I've actually done it on another speech before where I shouted him out, Relentless and Winning by Tim Grover. Those are two of my favorite books I think kids should watch. He trained Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Dwayne Wade. So you kind of also get to dive in to see what they've listened to. Just like 
knowing that it ended up being good for me. And I also took notes on all the books too. So I have a book, like a notepad, where I'll actually look back on like what I've learned from it. So you don't have to keep rereading it constantly. We just take even just like 10, 20 points and just keep those in your head and you'll remember it from the book as well. Hmm. Wow. That's a great point. Yeah. Great tip. I love it. Well, where can, where can our listeners find you? Um, I'm on Instagram. I have a TikTok, but I mean, I should probably start posting more of these clips on it, but you can see my dad on Instagram. It's at Ed Milet. He's on TikTok, YouTube, everything. He has a show coming out in August on Nosy, which is a streaming platform. It's called Change. I'm very excited. I've been able to hear a lot about it from him. I haven't seen it officially. I'll be able to see it the same time everybody does, but definitely go watch that. From what I've heard, it's going to be great. Awesome. What's what are what's your Instagram handle? Uh, it's my name at uh, Max Mylett. M Y L E T T. Well, thank you so much. We are so blessed to have had you today, and we can't wait awesome. to interview again in the future. Just like Rose yes. said. Yeah. yeah, thank you guys for having me. I hope a lot of people will get impacted by this. So. 